Hello everybody and welcome to the Heart Podcast. It's me, James Rudd, Digital Media Editor at Heart, welcoming you back for another episode. And today I'm delighted to be joined by a colleague from the University of Cambridge, Dr. Jenna Panter from the MRC Epidemiology Unit. Gemma has just published an article which is called Using Alternatives to the Car and the Risk of All-Cause, Cardiovascular and Cancer Mortality with the senior author David Ogilvie. And Jenna is a public health and epidemiologist and has been studying exercise for a long time. And this paper explores how we might fit exercise into our daily commute and whether that might impact on the endpoints I've just uh, outlined. I hope you enjoyed the podcast and please share the podcast widely, subscribe if you're not already subscribed and leave us a review in iTunes. Thank you very much for listening. So thanks very much, Jenna, for joining us on the podcast. I just wonder if we could start off by you telling us the motivation for your study. Yeah, sure. So one of the reasons why we were really interested in investigating this particular question is that physical activity seems to be really important for the development of um, some diseases, particularly cardiovascular disease. But we know that populations in general aren't as active as they could be. And sport offers one way to be active, but not everyone has the time to um, go to the gym, play team sports or go for a run or a swim. But walking or cycling or using alternatives to the car might be one way in which people could integrate some physical activity into their daily lives. Okay, And um, we know there are guidelines out there, aren't there, from people like the American Heart Association and the European Uh, Society of Cardiology is it 30 minutes five times a week is what is recommended but as you say often people can't manage that yeah yeah and sometimes it's easier to break that down into um, smaller bouts of activity you know say just 10 minutes a day and that could be really beneficial and so your study is is quite unique isn't it so you're looking at whether changing the way you actually get to work uh, and using a more active way whether that makes a difference in cardiovascular and cancer outcomes Yeah, so what we did was we looked at those people who reported using particular modes of transport and we divided those people into those people who used exclusively the car, so only the car to get to work, and those people who used alternatives to the car and then compared their risk of developing um, different diseases over time um, to really understand the risks. Okay, and this was a UK biobank study and a prospective study in a huge number of people, wasn't it? Yeah, a massive study. And um, we're really fortunate to be able to use um, data from UK Biobank because it means we can track people over time. Um, Even though we weren't looking specifically at people who changed their activity, and we were able to look at people who reported using um, different modes and follow the development of those uh, or the development of those diseases um, in individuals over time. Okay, so from your paper, you you looked at over 350,000 people. How long did you follow them up for? The data from UK Biobank is a great resource because it means we can tap at um, hospital admission data and cancer registry data. But because we were integrating these different sources of data, they all have slightly different um, censoring dates or follow-up times. Um, But in general, we were able to follow up people for um, a fairly substantial amount of time. It's between six and seven years um, on average. 
So a, a fairly reasonable time. And we also excluded people who developed diseases in the first two years. And we thought that was particularly important because there might be some underlying health conditions where those people may be less active already at the start of the study. Okay. So reverse causation, as they call it. Exactly. We, we excluded those individuals um, from the analysis, not just those who had prevalent conditions at baseline. So I think that's, that's, that's really important. So just to, just to reiterate, everybody with known cardiovascular disease or known cancer was excluded. And then people who developed those conditions or died within the first couple of years, you also excluded their data. Exactly, exactly. And we did we did some sensitivity analyses. So, so that was what we reported in our main analysis. But in our sensitivity analysis, we just looked at um, excluding those individuals who um, developed diseases or um, died in the first year to see if there was any difference in our results. And they were broadly similar, actually. So okay. that was reassuring. And would you like to outline your, your headline results, Jenna? Yeah, sure. So, I mean, we did quite a lot of adjustment in our analysis. So adjusting for multiple factors like behavioural factors, dietary factors, other physical activity. And we basically found that um, regular commuters, so those people who were commuting more than three times a week, who reported using alternatives to the car had a lower risk of incident and fatal um, cardiovascular disease. And those regular commuters who used alternatives to the car and both their commuting and non-commuting journeys had an even lower risk, around half the risk um, for fatal cardiovascular disease. So that's comparing your comparator group with people who used exclusively the car? who exclusively used the car, so drove all the way to work. So these these are um, people with lower risk tend to be those people who were integrating a little bit of walking and cycling into their car commute, for example. So walking or cycling some of the way, um, using public transport, or those people that were walking or cycling the entire journey. So there's a range of different ways in which people could integrate a bit of activity into their into their commute. But we also found that those people who weren't regularly commuting, so those people who were in part-time employment, working from home, um, or not working at all, if they used more active modes or alternatives to the car, they had a lower risk of all-cause mortality as well. So that really indicates that it's not just about regular commuting, um, but other types of journeys as well that could be made by walking or cycling. Oh, okay. So you mean dropping children at school, shopping, that kind of stuff also yeah. benefits. Okay. Definitely. Okay. Did you see what what kind of um, reduction in your endpoint did you see with activity? Can you give us a rough kind of was it a 10% better or 20% better? Yeah, so I mean, for some of these, I mean, obviously, the associations varied according to which specific population groups we were talking about mm. and which types of behaviours so we were talking about active commuting or other types of journeys. Um, but in general, we're thinking we, we saw um, sort of reductions of around 20 to 30%. And as I say, for those commuters who reported using alternatives to the car for both commuting and non-commuting journeys the risk was about half wow so really quite a sizable um a sizable impact really so there did seem to be a dose response effect as you say yeah unfortunately we couldn't say anything about dose response um within our groups um, because we don't have information from UK Biobank about the duration of activity okay. and how long people were spending. But you're right. For those people who did both, 
they reported using more active modes for both commuting and non-commuting journeys, there appeared to be a sizable reduction in risk. Okay, and what do you think the implications might be uh, for for policy, perhaps for government policy or the way that we build towns? Uh, looking, yeah. obviously, looking, you know, five to ten years in the future. Yeah, I think this is. I think this is really, really important because there's there's a sort of tendency to encourage people to be more active by giving them information about, um, you know, ways in which they can be active, different types of activity or the benefits of activity. And most people know that activity is a good a good thing to do. But actually changing the way our towns and cities are built to encourage people to be more active could be really, really important. So, I mean, lots of studies have suggested that, um, you know, personalised travel planning or information is important. But actually building environments that are more conducive to activity and changing social norms around activity could be really, really important. And like I say, I think, like, like you've you've pointed out, designing our towns and cities so they're more conducive to walking and cycling, you know, integrating things like walking and cycling routes and um, improving connections with public transport should could be really, really important. We're doing some work at, at the moment with the Town and Country Planning Agency, thinking about how we can design towns and cities to be more conducive to walking and cycling. Um, so there's lots of there's lots of um, encouraging noises about what we can and can't do. And actually, if you look to places like the Netherlands, you know, those those um, places are really conducive to walking and cycling. Um, and they have really high levels of those um, those behaviours. And actually, it's probably not that giving people information about being active has been the reason why those towns and cities or those places are so conducive to walking and cycling. It's the actual environment which encourages people to be more active. That's interesting because you and I both live in, in Cambridge in the UK and it, that's, I would say it's pretty well set up for certainly for cycling and walking. You do wonder about places like London, big established cities, uh, where that might be possible. But you're saying obviously an old city like Amsterdam can can make some serious differences. Yeah, definitely. And I think... A genuinely population-based strategy for the prevention of diabetes and other chronic diseases would really address some of these fundamental social and environmental changes. You only know that if it's difficult to walk, if it's difficult to drive um, in places where there's high congestion, um, people are much more likely to take to the bike um, or or walk. So you know, really, this is one real kind of positive change that can make and um, especially with concerns about air pollution and respiratory diseases you know this is this is wins for everyone really so it sounds like you maybe a carrot and a stick approach would be useful that's definitely something that is going to be important brilliant well thank you very much jenna uh, for taking part in the podcast and i will put a link to your paper in the show notes so people can go and read that and um hopefully become a little bit more active that's great thanks very much james Thank you.